0: Welcome back listening audience to the Noggin Notes podcast and I'm going to kick off with a gripe of mine. It's when podcasters ask at the outset of their podcast what's going on with the audience as though an answer is forthcoming. It's not. Uh, It's a pre-recorded podcast and there is no way for us to write back and say what exactly is going on. So uh, I'm going to avoid that. However, if you uh, are so moved as to write to us you can tell us what's going on, and you can even seek some guidance on that. Info at naganotes.com is how you do that, and info at ZephyrWellness.org will also get your message to me. Today's podcast is an interview with two folks, Jay Punjabi and Jazdeep Mango. Jazdeep is a psychologist. Uh, Jay is a music producer, and they, um, they're they amazing people. And it just so happens that they have a heart for the same stuff that that I do. And they connected with us, and uh, we set up this interview. And I, I found it compelling. You'll see that as I gush over uh, my lack of knowledge and how much knowledge they were dropping on me about how mental health is viewed in India, but also some common problems that we all experience seemingly across the globe. And my invitation after this interview is to all of you to do something just a little bit more Take what you've learned and integrate it into your communities, into your families. Have conversations with your spouses, your significant others, your children, uh, your mentors, your peers. And then if you're so moved, take that information and bring it into your legislative bodies. I would really like for all of us to craft policy that paints with a broad enough brush that we can compel entities like insurance companies to fund things like preventative mental health care, which currently isn't funded right now in the United States. And I would like to see a global shift in the attitudes and receptiveness toward mental health care. I don't see it as any different than physical health care. I know there's a handful of us out there who are all fighting the same fight and uh, pitching the same pitch. And my invitation is to the broader listening audience to start doing that too because it sounds a lot better when the chorus is composed of people who are non-clinical because it it carries more weight. I hope you enjoy the podcast. It covers a wide range of topics, I think a lot of which might hit home. Um, They happen to represent Invisible Illness, which is uh, their organization out of India. You can find them on Facebook at Invisible Illness. Uh, it's a fight against suicide. We want to fight this, but we we want to fight mental illness broadly. And the only way to do that is to get it out in the open and start talking about it like it's a normal thing, because it is. We talk about heart health, and we talk about hand health and arm health and, and all other sorts of physical health. And we just kind of leapfrog over mental health, I think, more often than, than we don't. And so uh, you'll find that that's particularly true in India. Hopefully... You'll find some compassion in your hearts and uh, maybe some motivation to go make some change in your own communities. I will let you enjoy the podcast. Thanks for listening. Well, we have a real treat this week on the Noggin Notes podcast. We're talking with Jay and Jazdy from India. I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves, but I just want to talk in the beginning about how awesome I think this is that I get to record... uh, an interview with somebody who's like half, quite literally half a world away. And, um, it's, it's always humbling to know that we have this kind of reach with our conversations. And I think that's what makes this, uh, podcast, this interview really special is that we don't ever really know where these conversations are going to go. And, um, who's going to listen to them and what kind of change can happen quite literally anywhere in the world. And it's just a testimony to how I, I truly believe we're all interconnected as human beings. And this is just yet another example of, uh, how, how people can get together who normally wouldn't otherwise connect. And, um, maybe, <coughs> excuse me, uh, as like coughing on the radio, that makes, uh, for good entertainment, but, um, it makes, uh, certain makes for good entertainment. Yes. It's early in the morning for me, but also, um, how we could potentially overcome some global problems uh, through technology, and I think that's really cool. So, um, you guys are doing something really neat over there called um, Invisible Illness, yes. and it deals with not only uh, suicide, but mental health broadly, and I'm going to you know, let you talk about it. So, uh, go for it, and then we'll pick up the conversation from there.
1: Uh, thank you so much, Jake. And yeah, you're right. This is just deep here, by the way. And um, yeah, you're right. You know, it's really humbling to see that, you know, we sitting across like different places completely in the world, and we can like have this conversation and, you know, have a like-minded conversation, even which is even more valuable. Um, so I'm a neuropsychologist by profession, and I practice neurorehabilitation. <laughs> Sorry, I think it's running in the air.
0: No, it's, con- <laughs> it's <laughs> contagious.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I used to practice neuro rehabilitation with the brain injury patients. And um, around a year and a half ago, I, Jay and I uh, started a mental health organization called Invisible Illness, um, which was kind of um, out of the blue for both of us. And yes. I think I'll let Jay talk a little more about that.
2: Yes. Firstly, thanks Jake for inviting us on the podcast. It's an honor. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, yeah, so just to give a little background about me. um, My name is Jay and I come from the entertainment background. Um, So I've been working... We should probably
0: get last names so people can look you up if they want. Yes.
2: My name is Jay Punjabi and uh, I've been working at this company called Submerge, which is India's leading dance music agency since the last seven years. And we've been like organizing tours, festivals... And yeah, a bunch of things. But uh, how we came about Invisible Illness is last year, we actually in 2017, we lost one of our closest friends uh, to depression. He committed suicide. And that actually, you know, made us realize that there's such a stigma around depression and mental health in India that the fact that our friend didn't like, you know, feel the need to come and speak to us about it. it's, It's a big deal, you know. And we didn't, we had no clue that this is going to happen. So, yeah, I mean, Jazdeep reached out to me and uh, we got together and we said, yeah, let's let's do an event to create awareness. And from there on, we started like the journey of Invisible Illness.
1: Oh, yeah. Just just add my last name. And this is Jazdeep Margot. And yeah, I mean, uh, so I mean, we started Invisible Illness just thinking that it's going to be Um, we, we, we just want to raise awareness. So we just wanted to do a very large scale event and include celebrities and have it revolve around um, different forms of art and entertainment. So it had a lot to do with music and poetry, drama. um, And having the celebrities, of course, you know, brings a lot of like media attention to it, which is also why we wanted them. So that uh, at least the media attention is directed in the right place. Um, But
2: but the other thing is that uh, everyone who was involved with the event have either been through depression or some kind of mental illness. And oh, that's the reason why we that's the reason why even we got those celebrities on board is so that when they reach out to the audience, it's coming from like you know from their heart and it's not that they're just doing it for the sake of mental health, but it was something that they've either been through or you know they've lost someone and they could like you know make an impact with what they're trying to say with their social media. That's the reason why we got them on board,
1: yeah and that's all- tell me
0: more about the event a- Oh, I'm sorry go ahead
1: no that's fine sorry um yeah, so that's that's primarily why we had them on board. And they were like more than willing to talk about their struggles so openly, which was so beautiful for us to see. And it was so encouraging for everyone else to see as well. Um, so, tell, so you want to hear a little more about our event, I'm guessing. Um, we started off with a very beautiful dance performance, which depicted a journey of a woman who's going through a mental struggle. And how she breaks through from it, and the dance depicted that through contemporary dance form. Um, uh, we had a uh, couple of spoken word poets who are quite famous in Mumbai, in uh, here in India, and uh, they spoke about their own journeys through um, how one, like one of them, spoke about depression. The other one spoke about how she, uh, you know, she had a very beautiful poem about how we talk to ourselves and how it beautiful it is to talk to yourself and how that impacts our mental health a lot. And um, and a couple of things like that, then we had a panel discussion, which was really impactful. We had a couple of celebrities, a psychiatrist, a psychologist on board, and they spoke about how we can prevent suicide. What are the measures we all need to take as a community uh, and how mental health is a community effort at the end of the day. And we all need to stand up for one another and you know really look out for each other. And if we don't do that, then, um, you know, humanity is somewhere going to fade away.
0: Um, Yeah, absolutely. How many people attended?
2: Uh, We had approximately 800 to 1200 floating crowd because we kept this at, uh, at one of the malls, one of the big malls here, because the point was that, you know, we want to reach out to people as much as possible. And even someone who's just shopping in a mall can come and, you know, give it a listen and, you know take something out of it because the idea was to address to the masses and I don't think so there would be a better place than a mall at that point, you know, because it was our first event and we went all out with the marketing and getting on board people who could, you know, push this out as much as they can. But at the end of the day, you know, it was for the masses. That's the reason why we did it there.
0: What a brilliant idea! I think a lot of what I'd like to do with this podcast is we try to push new ideas into the into the ears of people who are listening, so that maybe somebody who's listening, who knows where they're listening. I mean, it's exactly. we have a truly international reach now, which is always which is very great. humbling. But maybe somebody's listening out there and goes, "You know what? I never thought of doing an event in a mall before. What a great idea! Because you get a lot of passerby and you know passive listeners as well as active people who could just stand there and participate as long as they want." And I exactly. think that's, that's brilliant especially for something like this where the topic is so pervasive and yet Mm. so I guess um, skirted uh, you could say
1: yeah absolutely and uh, what we noticed was that you know even if people were like listening for a moment you know they they, I I feel like that moment is enough because for something as deep and dark as suicide uh, I feel like just you know, kickstarting a conversation is enough. And just listening Mm -hmm. for that one minute can really kickstart that conversation in a household. And I feel like we all need to have that uncomfortable conversation, which is not really that uncomfortable. Um, And that's what our aim was with doing it in a place like a mall.
2: Yeah, and also to promote the event uh, uh, beforehand, what we did was we started a moment uh, with a hand gesture where, you know, uh, you basically close one eye and keep one eye open. And since our tagline for the company is now you see it. So we got that trending and we got like more than 200 people post that picture. And that actually created some kind of awareness out of nowhere, you know. So people were just like, what is this? And we got random people posting it. So, yeah, I mean, that's it's all about social media nowadays. So what better than starting a trend there?
0: That's Beautiful. I love it. And, and to go back to Joseph's um, reference to the the fact that this is hard to talk about, or it's a difficult conversation. I I, I agree on both sides. It, it is tough, and it's not tough. I think in at least in counselor school, when I went through, you know, graduate program was we were told and taught specifically how to have conversations about the quote-unquote sensitive topics one of Mm -hmm. which being suicide uh the others might be substance abuse sexual Mm -hmm. orientation sexuality sexual function anything to do with sex in the bedroom basically um but then you know suicidality is is one of those quote-unquote hot hot topics or sensitive subjects that people tend to tiptoe around Mm -hmm. and once you have that conversation a couple of times it becomes a lot more normal Mm -hmm. so you know on one side of it is how do we have the conversation about being without being weird about it and then um, how do we continue having the conversation so it doesn't feel like we've just merely checked the box as this thing that I'm morally compelled to do uh, and then push the narrative forward that that this it's okay to, to talk about suicide, it's okay to talk about thoughts of death, and simply talking about it doesn't somehow magically put the idea into a person's head. I think that's one of the, the major myths that uh, gets blown up if you ever take a suicide training is that talking about death and self death and killing oneself is not going to lead someone to want to do it because the thoughts are already there being being human you just naturally are curious about what life would be like if you were not on the planet or if you took your own life or you know what the ripple effect would be and so forth so if somebody's you know truly surprised that you're bringing it up um, chances are real good that 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 no one else has brought it up to them but um, but um, usually in my experience say hey you know I think the answer is very clear it's either yes or it's no It's, it's never what are you talking about yeah
1: yeah absolutely and we've noticed that so I mean of course we do a lot of awareness drives even currently talking about suicide and encouraging people to you know really just outright ask that hey, you know, are you considering suicide? And really ask with compassion. Uh, And more often Mm -hmm. than not, people are like, oh, you know, we can't do that. What if we give them an idea? Just like exactly what you said. And and like you said, it's not gonna magically put a thought in their head. The thought probably already exists. What you're gonna do is you're gonna make them feel comfortable to discuss it with you so that they don't just go and do it. They actually talk about it.
0: Exactly. And even with children, uh, the, the the thought is already there, and what you're doing is giving them permission to to breathe it out a little bit. It's almost exactly. like um, this air is returned to the room and tension is let out mm-hmm. when when, it, when you bring it to the, the forefront and, and you talk about it. And that goes not just with suicide, but any any of those sensitive subjects. And one of the, Ooh. I guess you could say the overall sensitive subject is someone's mental well-being broadly, which I, I'm we, as we segue into this conversation... When you and I, you guys and I first talked a couple of weeks back, I made an offhanded comment about, yeah, it's probably stigmatized there too, is like it is here. And um, you both kind of laughed and grimaced, like, no, I don't think you know what you're talking about, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's way worse here. And I'm like, I don't know. Could it be? And I, I've pulled up some charts since then on the World Economic Forum. It's weforum.org or we, org, And the, the, file extension is five charts that reveal how India sees mental health. And there's some really alarming stuff. This is a survey done with uh, 3,500 people. And um, there's some language used in here that I I was shocked to see how high the numbers are. Things like retard, crazy, mad, stupid, Mm -hmm. irresponsible. When people refer to folks struggling with mental illness. And then um, the attitudes about it are... Uh, are really alarming too. So some of the percentages on people's attitudes toward mental illness are such that it's, um, it's scary still to, mm-hmm. to folks in India. And I mean, I'm sure it is in America too, but the percentages are much smaller. I'd be interested to see surveys done here, but also that, um, most women who were once patients in mental hospital can't be trusted as babysitters. 49% of people surveyed believe that. I mean, that's half that it's one out of every two people believe that exactly. if you want struggle with mental illness you're no longer responsible to watch children i mean that's that's nuts to me um mentally unhealthy people should have their own groups uh, healthy people need not be con- contaminated by them 60% hold that belief i mean and it goes on it's just it's crazy to me and i want to i want to get your your take on this um, but I wanted to also, for the listening audience, identify something that I personally find troubling, which is the the, the very use of the word stigma. Um, I don't like it. I think it's too broad. I think it's largely misunderstood as a word alone, um, and some synonyms might be, you know, shame or disgrace or dishonor or you know, being tainted. And and I don't I don't think it's an accurate comparison to say that. Discussing mental illness is somehow shameful or disgraceful. It may have been at one point, and maybe that still continues. But if we're going to use those words, we should use more specific and precise words. But my whole take on it is there's a big push to say, end the stigma or destigmatize. Mm-hmm. And um, as, as a neuropsychologist, Jazz deep you know that when you put a knot in front of something, we don't focus on the knot, we focus yeah. on the thing. So if I say, yeah. don't think about elephants, guess what you're going to think about? And if if you say, don't smoke cigarettes, cigarettes are going to pop in your head. So if we say, don't stigmatize, we're just going to be focused on the stigma and the shame. So I'd rather pivot this and say, make mental health treatment or care cool. You know, as yeah, cool yeah. as physical health treatment, where people are doing the workouts online and posting them for everybody to see their chiseled bodies or whatever. <laughs> um, I'd like to see, you know, selfies taken in the lobby of uh, mental health agency waiting rooms with a with a hashtag, you know, treat your anxiety or something. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, but I I, I want to go back and he- and hear what you guys have to say about your experience with this um, so called stigma. Now that I've said that I don't like the word and I'm going <laughs> to use it. <laughs>
1: um it's been rough over here um so yeah i mean uh the study or the research that you're talking about uh we've been through several of those and we've also faced a lot of it ourselves uh because as soon as we like came out with uh you know invisible illness and we spoke about it and everyone was like why why are you doing this you know you're you know you're shaming the people who've committed suicide or you're giving them a reason oh wow know. And um, and they're like, oh, you know, you're you're dignifying their suicide. You're giving it a reason. And I was like, no, I'm. it has a reason already. And I'm just making people aware of that reason is what we're doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. Uh, over here, a woman, if she has a mental illness, uh, chances of her getting married are really low. Uh, chances that she'll get treatment are very low. Um... And that's, that's also for men. Uh, I mean, they don't get jobs. Um, the job situation here has gotten really tough with mental illness, uh, like, you know, around the corner everywhere, especially at workplaces. And in the bigger cities, since we live in a big city, we only see it in the, uh, you know, spaces like work spaces and things like that. But I mean, I, I assume that in the rural areas, in the smaller cities, it's much worse, even like yeah. education uh so I've heard that you know they're trying to separate the education system for people who have mental illnesses and for people who don't and for me that's that's alarming. Uh, that's very alarming because um considering that you know I, I mean mental illnesses like anxiety or depression i mean i just don't I just don't see the purpose of separating people and creating more barriers and more boxes. And it's just, it's just, um, it's very disturbing, but I hope that doesn't go into play. But, you know, I also see that there is a, there is like good coming out of it. Because now the new Mental Health Act that has taken place in India has improved things around. It's going to be a slow process for us. We are uh, slightly behind in that sense. But, you know, things are improving uh, we are starting a legal program to you know get a counsel for who should be a mental health professional and who shouldn't which doesn't exist currently um along with no that no kidding yeah <laughs> uh,
0: so you so you're a psycholo- you're, you're a neuropsychologist yes and you do neurorehabilitation, rehabilitation but there's no like Both. governing body or licensing entity
1: Uh not the one that runs completely and wholly um So what happens here is anyone who finishes a master's degree in psychology is qualified to do, uh, is qualified to practice. So if they've, so the master's degree has a training program and so on and so forth. And if once you've done that training program, you're qualified to practice. However, uh, now there's an RCI certification, which is required, but it's not been put into play completely. So it's not a law yet to have that. If you have that, it's great. But if you don't have it, you can still practice. But
0: what does RCI stand for?
1: Our Rehabilitation Council of India.
0: Okay. So it's it's basically just an endorsement. It's not uh, like a legal provision to be able to bill insurance or th- not nothing that yet. certifies you as competent.
1: Not yet. But now that the Mental Health Act, the new Mental Health Act has said that you can get insurance for your mental diseases. And your, I mean your mental facilities as well. Like if you go to a psychiatrist... And you're paying for medication. You can get reimbursed for things like that, or the insurance will take care of it. So
0: that's new, huh?
1: Yeah, that's just come out last year when the act was passed, um, and it was it's made a lot of changes, which is great. But it also creates a lot of problems because now we need the certification for someone who's coming to us to you know, for the insurance to cover. Mm-hmm. It. So now it's created a whole different issue that people who are already in the field since five to six or 10, 20, 15 years, they don't have that certification. And what's the process for them to apply for it? And what's the process for them to acquire the certification of such? So that's another kind of issue that we're trying to tackle. Uh, so, I mean, for us in the bigger cities, we see that people are really, really, like schools over here are really taking a step forward, and you know bringing about awareness in schools but at the same time at, you know it creates a sort of differentiation between someone who's seeing a counselor in the school and someone who isn't and
0: you know oh, go ahead
1: <laughs> no no that's fine you go ahead say what you were going to say
0: there's so much to say i'm i'm over here shaking my head about this uh thinking that <laughs> we as we as americans are we think we have it pretty rough you know like oh we whine about our insurance not covering preventative mental health care which is a problem i mean we're the only segment of the medical profession that doesn't get preventative care for mental health treatment. Um, you get it for optometry, dental, pediatrics, uh, adult, well care visit, well, well person visits, you know, annually or semi annually. Uh, but in mental health, you have to have something broken and diagnosable before you can get treatment to quote unquote fix it. And yet I'm hearing this, you guys didn't even have insurance coverage at all until a year ago. So it, it's just bringing a great deal of perspective to what I'm hearing. And, um, what I'm experiencing over here.
1: Yeah. Sometimes I just
0: kinda wanna, you just kind of want to, you don't ever want to stop fighting, but you want to count your, your blessings along the way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I assume like the problem is the same. It's just the degree of the problem lies. Uh, I mean, the degree is what changes, right? The, here here the degrees. <laughs> I mean, we, we are um, <laughs> uh, in lot deeper water, I would say. But... Um, I mean, I do see a good future coming out. I mean, I do see that, you know, our government is really working towards mental health because they do genuinely see that um, it's affecting the working population, which is a very young population in India. And that's where also, like, that's why I think the government is also interested in it. Um, But I mean, I, I see that, you know, say it won't be in the near future, but the future looks good, I guess.
0: That's good to hear. And Jay, I want to kick over to you because sure. you're not in the field, and you guys merged through this uh, unfortunate common incident yeah. uh, where you both had a, a friend die. But you're you're out more, I guess, quote unquote, in the working world. I guess you could say. And and I'm trying to get a, a sense for do do people struggle to get their insurances to cover things like medication and treatment and is it, is it even something that they ask for, I guess? I'm trying to gauge how far behind the evolution is.
2: I mean, the medication in in, in that aspect, uh, your medical insurance covers a lot, but it's just that mental health hasn't been included. And as she said that, you know, since the last one year, they're making the change and understanding that, you know, the suicide rates are alarming and, you know, there's there's so much of an issue in working environment and all of that. So, yeah, I mean... Now they're seeing the the you know the issue and they're making the change.
0: We have a pretty sinister, cynical uh, outlook on insurance companies over here, thinking that they're just the big bad wolf waiting to take our money and not return coverage of benefits, and so we end up with a lot of fights over emergency room visits. And then the insurance company will determine from afar uh, whether or not that was a medically necessary uh, emergency room visit. And so sometimes people will go to the emergency room with quite emergent conditions and the insurance will say, no, it's not life threatening. So you could have waited, you know, and it's like, I'm bleeding out my ears. Yeah. What do you mean? I could have waited, and they'll actually deny reimbursement to the hospital, and then it becomes a big fight. Um, but they're also doing the same thing in mental health, where they're saying, "Well, you know, we don't really think that uh, a 53-minute session is warranted here. We think a 45-minute session is warranted." And you're like, "Come on, man! Like, really? We're gonna we're gonna split hairs over this over yeah. 15 minutes and you know, eight bucks worth of reimbursement." And I'm wondering if the same type of philosophy is going on over there. Uh, where there's a fight between the the citizens who need the treatment and the insurances who don't want to pay because their shareholders are more interested in augmenting the bottom line from you know quarter three to quarter four yeah. in the fiscal year, um, or if they're starting to turn the corner and say, "Wow, you know what? Um, treatment actually does pers- you know provide for a, a more robust and productive workforce, which then uh, ultimately does augment our bottom line. It's just a little further in the future than you know measuring." quarter by quarter um what are you guys seeing
2: i mean i know that you know uh some all the insurance companies have their own rules but from what i know that you know you probably have to stay in the hospital for like a night or two for your insurance to like to actually claim your insurance so there is some rule that they have where you know you've got to stay back and it's not like just to visit uh you go like you know you visit the doctor and you can claim for insurance i don't think it Mm -hmm. works like that out here
0: You got to stay. Wow! So there's there's no routine maintenance. No,
1: no. Uh, As far as we know, it's uh, so different. Packages have different things included in them, and uh, I'm honestly not very well aware of it. But uh, I remember that when my father was battling cancer, it was that okay. um, Do you have cancer as one of the terms included in your insurance? Or is that uh, one of the diseases that your insurance doesn't cover? Something like that. There was like an entire debate over it and about how many times the chemo will be covered by the insurance and how many sessions of that would it cover. Things like that. So it has a lot of terms and conditions.
2: And I mean, you don't realize that at the time of signing up for your insurance. It's, It's usually like, you know, when you're in that situation and you're like, you know, you have no clue about it. So yeah, I think like, you know, those... Those, those are the things that need to be looked upon in India.
0: I wonder how a, a global influence would affect that. Um, being that you've got, you've got, you know, the United States that's doing it one way and people are dissatisfied. You got India that's doing it another way and people are know, more dissatisfied. Yeah. It seems like there ought to be some sort of, you know, uh, global gathering of the minds that says, Hey guys, like we, we can't just keep doing this. We got you know, people are literally dying. Um, but that's probably a topic for another day and yeah. more people who are smarter than I am. <laughs> Let me uh, ask you about where mental illness is coming from that you guys are seeing. So I don't know about prevalence there versus here, and I don't know if it even matters. But I think that the common agreement, at least in in my circles, is that mental illness has always been around for you know millennia. Yeah. Only recently, however. We are seeing a, an explosion of it, and reasons vary for why that that happens. And they and they and they range from we're diagnosing better, we're getting it out of the shadows, um, we're identifying it earlier, the conversation is improving, all the way to we're inundating ourselves with more toxic stuff through our. Social media intake, our um, our gr- broad media intake that you know the advertisers and the and the news cycles just want to trigger the limbic system into making us scared or excited, mm-hmm. such that it gives us anxiety about things. Uh, what what are you guys seeing in your country?
1: Um. So in our, so in our country, there's this uh, really strange thing that's said. So. So, um, of course, a lot of the population of our country is on the po- poverty line or below the poverty line. So, they, they assume. What
0: was that percentage?
1: Um, <laughs> I don't know the exact percentage oh. and I don't want to quote wrongly. So, I'm not. That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, uh, they say that if you. They're like, okay, so if poor people have a mental illness, it's okay. Because they have reasons to be depressed or have anxiety, or they have environments that are triggering uh, their mental illnesses. Um, And I know mental illness isn't restricted to depression and anxiety, but when it comes to those two, because the prevalence of those two are way higher than any other. um, They say that, oh, so, you know, we have reasons to be depressed and, you know, it's okay. So that's a whole different debate that I don't know if I which side I stand on yet. Um, yeah, but the prevalence here is um, of mental illnesses here is like one in five people and with students, it's almost uh, four in ten students are suffering a mental illness. Um, yeah, it's the student, Rate is really high. Is that
0: adult college students you're talking about, or no, children students like students in general, students school in general. and children?
1: Okay. Yeah. It it starts from around 12 years of age to it goes up to around 19 years. They that the, the prevalence there is around four in ten students uh, has uh, either you know is battling one mental illness. Um, and in workplaces, it's around 46% of the working population, uh, is suffering from either chronic stress disorder, depression, anxiety, or bipolar disorder. These are the four that they've zeroed down on according to the latest research. Um, yeah, I mean, the chronic
0: stress disorder sounds interesting.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I know. Uh, it sounded interesting to me as well. Uh, I think that's just like something that they've just like, oh, stress is something people don't mind saying that, oh, I have chronic stress disorder is less uh, stigmatized uh-huh. I guess, <laughs> than saying that, oh, I have like chronic depression. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I've, I lost the chain of thought. But anyway, <laughs> um,
0: where, where where mental illness is coming from, whether it's always been there and we're just now identifying it or if it's actually getting worse
1: honestly i think that it is getting worse it was always there of course and we are on, we are identifying it better now and there's more awareness now but i do also think that it is getting worse considering the amount of technology around us and the techn- and the impact it's having on us uh, con- also including social media of course but also taking into account the lifestyle led by you know uh, the generation now as opposed to the generation back then so i do this workshop which where we compare our lives to our lives of our grandparents and we see the difference in the way they led their life just their daily routine as opposed to how we lead ours and just the stark difference in the time they woke up the kind of food they ate the kind of work they did uh, mm-hmm and the kind of like exercise they did as and what we are doing as opposed to what we are doing today shows us how much that impacts our mental health so when someone comes in for a therapy session the first thing we tell them to fix is their daily life routine so wake up on right wake up at a good time sleep at a good time eat your three meals do daily exercise these are the first three things that we'll tell them and we see that the generation now as opposed to our grandparents or our great-grandparents was, is so different. And it's these three things. It's sleep, food, and exercise that's the difference. So I do think that it is increasing because of our lifestyle and because of the you know, growing social media uh, prevalence in our lives. Uh, And how that impacts just like our dopamine and, you know, our serotonin levels and how like our entire limbic system is completely dependent on it right now. Like you said, rightly.
0: Are you seeing an addiction to social media? Like we are here where um, people need to get that pleasure center, that reward center fulfilled by chasing the the, the likes and the blinking light on the screen to go check their, their uh, tablet or their device. And they just simply can't pull away
2: yeah i that that's one of the big reasons i mean you know people don't really how do i say this like you know they don't put a limit to how much of social media they need to use in a way and i think that's creating a bigger issue because you're always looking at someone else and you know you're comparing yourself and uh oh like this person's getting these many likes and this person's with this one and you're all the time thinking about what other people are doing and you're not really you know thinking about what you need to be doing for yourself and for your career and everything So yeah, social media is a big problem.
0: It's amazing to hear the same exact stuff coming from you guys half a world away that I, I literally just talked about a week ago in a local high school here with regard to the inability to set limits, parents losing control of their children, children having false or proxy relationships online mm-hmm. and counting them as real relationships, the inability to tolerate distress because they all they do is avoid the lack of intimacy, the addictive patterns in the brain from the neurochemistry that's being triggered by all the the comparisons, um, and then, of course, there's the false representation on social media, right? You only see somebody's Ooh. best moments, and then you compare their best moments with your overall life and say, oh, I must I must be failing at life if I'm not doing all those things that my mm-hmm. friends are doing. Um, and I think over here we say, well, in the Western world, we fa- we face these problems And that here I am talking to you guys in the Eastern or Near Eastern, I guess. I don't know what you – Call yourself, I should probably ask that. I don't know what Indians refer to themselves as geographically.
1: <laughs> Just Asian. Asian, yeah,
0: that's how we would say <laughs> Asian, it's a big continent. Yes,
1: <laughs> I mean, Eastern is fine. You can you can refer to us as that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But either
0: way, it's not, it's not uniquely Western, you know? Yeah, yeah
1: absolutely. It's not because, uh, so, I mean, so the recent statistics say is that India has the largest number of users of phones or something like that there was yeah. some new research because we are also the largest population so um
2: you're over a billion now right yes, yes. i think 1.3
1: billion 1.3 <laughs> um wow. and, and counting uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, uh, like we we are we are like currently the government is also trying to provide wi-fi to everybody so that education can grow which i see the benefit of but i also see the downside of it at the same time and yeah,
0: there's two, uh, two edges to that exactly. razor.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, there's an episode in black mirror that depicts this whole social media problem. So, so aptly, uh, it says that how this rating system of like, you know, being on Instagram is going to become like now the way we live our lives and we get,
0: Oh yeah. I heard about that. I didn't see the episode, but it's like a credit rating. Yeah. Yes.
1: And we rate each other. Like if you're nice on... to people, you get more points. Absolutely.
2: I'm, I think that uh, that is also going to be implemented in a lot of countries like where I heard I had a recent chat with like one of my friends in when I was in Dubai and he was like you know this credit system is gonna play a big role now where the government wants to introduce this i'm not sure in which country though
1: it's already started in china yeah in china exactly because a friend of mine visited and she was telling me she was there for three months and she was telling me that uh, how that system is already in play in china it's, it's
2: all about where you know how good you are uh, how good your behavior is and on those basis you'll get your loans
1: and you know your house education everything. uh anything anything and I was shocked that you know something like that has actually reached there already.
0: Let's let's spend some time on this because it's fascinating because it's it's no longer mythological anymore. It's it's actually practical in some parts of the world that are actually in many ways industry leaders. And I want to talk about the psychological impact of that because in my mind there What you're doing is you're subjecting yourself to uh, the whim and fancy of your neighbors who may on a bad day just decide to give you a a black mark against your name or give you a bad review which then in turn affects the way that you can interact with your own life and it may be arbitrary and capricious the way that they do it Um, but also I'm thinking of this incessant need to perform where nobody's allowed to be authentic anymore and i just want to tee that up so you guys can chat about it a little bit
1: yeah i mean i i actually wanted to bring that up myself like we don't do anything for ourselves anymore and that's what this is even promoting all the more it's all for an image it's all for showing somebody or pleasing someone else or and now this system in play at least from what i hear in china is about literally about Uh, Even if you go in to buy a cup of coffee, if you said thank you to that person or not. And, you know, I understand that's a good ethic, but not when it's literally forced in a way where you won't get a loan if you don't say thank you or the
0: parameters aren't even defined.
1: Absolutely. Which is even more bizarre that, you know, it's not like, okay, A plus B equals C. It's just like anything can happen and tomorrow someone can like take your life down because they all decided to gang up and give you like a bad review constantly and I I mean It's a really
0: strange (laughs) twisted bastardization of postmodernism and (laughs) postmodernism is bad enough as it is
1: absolutely it's it's so bizarre that we're talking about this because it's real now <laughs> and, and you it's mind
0: bending the science we're living in science fiction
1: we yeah. are we are living in science fiction and it, it just makes me so sad that people in that part of the world are living in a way where they can't do anything for themselves it's all to do it's all to please someone, someone else or to perform for someone else and how that's going to impact like their mental health and you know just like just knowing that constantly people are rating you well or not well and you know how that impacts your wellness in overall just uh it's it just it saddens me to think about it
0: so we know that china has a pretty uh domineering overbearing government right and mm-hmm. and in, you know typically americans we like to believe that we're the champions of liberty as though it had never been you know conceived anywhere else <laughs> across, <laughs> across the history of time um but somewhere in between is the balance and i'm wondering where government lies in this uh in this spectrum of things, because in China, you know, the government can force you to do a lot of things. Um, in America, not necessarily. You can still stand up, vote people out of office if you don't like the policies or, you know, so we want to believe (laughs) there's corporate pressures, of course, but, um, what is, what is government like in India? Is it fairly libertarian or is it more, um, overbearing? Uh,
2: (laughs) It's confusing for us as well, you know, over here because they try to implement something and our population is so much that, I think they fail more than required and they're not able to implement a lot of things out here. But So uh,
1: typically what an election looks like is there's there's someone elected and it takes him five years to put into play one thing because there are so many people. So by the time he kickstarts the process, it's been five years that the process has been completed. And <laughs> I see. And then someone else mm. is elected because we didn't like what he did. Or so it's just
0: too big and, and there's not enough time given for people to make differences
1: uh, I won't say there's not enough time I think that in the smaller parts there's not enough facilities that is reaching them so yes the bigger cities it impacts us quite quickly we living in Mumbai the financial mm-hmm. capital it impacts us pretty quickly whatever the government decides uh, whatever uh, you know comes out uh, we, we've elected him so we support what he's saying or what she's saying and you know uh, we go with it, but you know we don't know how much of that is really being implemented all around and to the core of it. Um, so I would say it's quite liberal. So if we wanted to stand up to something, we could. But if it is someone who we have elected for, and uh he, uh, then we have to wait for the next election to you know be like, okay, no, we did not like what he did, so we're going to un him. Po-
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering if it's possible for. The government of India to implement what's going on in China and mandate everybody into this system of uh, likes and dislikes in order to gain um, things like no, loans I that are governed or at least regulated on a national basis? Um, or can the population still say, no, I, I don't need to be a part of this system. I'll just transact my business uh, one-to-one in my community.
2: I think they have way bigger problems yeah. <laughs> to deal with no. currently with okay. <laughs> like, you know, I mean they like it's just infrastructure in general that I think needs to be looked upon first and poverty and education, all of that is, is yeah, lacking behind, you know, in so many ways that I think this credit system is a far fetched
0: thing. It's
1: very far fetched for us to even think about. So if okay. we did put it in play at some point, I I assume that would be another fifty years.
0: Yeah. As long as the uh, order doesn't get upset to the point that mass mind control becomes the new priority ahead of all of those infrastructure issues.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, yeah, but I don't think uh, people in India would stand for something like that, also, because A, we are too many. How many are we going (laughs) to rate?
0: Right, right, good point. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's so true. The sheer numbers are baffling to me because in, I mean, you just say, Jay, Jay, you're talking about 1.3 billion people. And and in America, we have 0.3 billion people. (laughs) It's like, wow. 1
1: billion people away.
2: Yeah. I mean, mean, the government Um, also doesn't have like, you know, a system in place where I know in China, uh, like they have either two children in a family and then, you know, their tax, their tax rate keeps changing if they have more children and, and more children and, you know, so on. That system is not there in India, you know. Yeah. I, it's also like in the mm-hmm. rural areas, people, you know, give birth to many children and because they become the source of income for their family.
1: Also, we are a secular country. Religion plays a large role in our government. So, right. um, I mean, a lot of our religious practices here cannot do not allow any kind of child system you know like protection system <laughs> to be put in place like china i mean like you said rightly china's government is totally completely different from ours would not call that a government um but yeah i mean go ahead uh, yeah so in india i mean i see that yes a government could put in place something like that but our people would uh, there is liberty enough for us to stand up to it so
0: shifting away from that because it seems less likely – now I'm turning this podcast into a, a yeah. Q&A about <laughs> India culture generally. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm curious about that birth rate and where the – where it originates that people have lots of kids, especially in the rural areas, is it, is, it a, is it religiously driven or is it a sense of just wanting a large family so that there's more hands to help out, you know, in facing poverty or, or whatever it may be? Or is it, so, is it something even different from that?
1: It's, I think, just having um, not a very apt family planning system. Um, so what happens in the rural areas is they don't also know a way of, like, not having birth control yeah birth control overall and um, that's one of the reasons the other reason is that if they're having a lot of female children then they'll keep having children till they have a male Male child child. (laughs) so that's another Mm. thing that happens a lot so you'll see families where there are like seven girls and then the eighth child is a male child and then you understand why they went through so many pregnancies um interesting. Yeah, so I mean the reasoning is really uh it's very vast because it differs from area to area in India as well because the culture is so different and, you know, varied. Um but yeah, I would say that it's also it's just not good enough birth control system put into place.
0: That was really just to indulge my own curiosity and yeah. had probably nothing to <laughs> <you> do, <laughs> do with the listening that. audience. <laughs> <laughs> um, kicking back to Jay though, I want to hear more about your um, musical industry and how it's uh, trying to engage the artists and, uh, I, I, to use your word, the celebrities to try to combat this stigma in, in mental health care. you got about, I don't know, 10 minutes left and I want to spend some time yeah. talking about that because as we discussed a couple weeks ago, um, I had made contact with another guy here in the United States who's trying to do something similar and I don't know how that conversation has gone. I know I connected you guys, but yeah. I'll share a little bit about that.
2: I mean, um, so mental health in, in this industry is not very big. I don't think, the thing people need to realize, at least in this industry, is the, the lifestyle. It's, it's really, really bad because you have, like, you have no timings for work. Uh, you're traveling all the time, sleepless nights, and you're drinking. And there's, there's a lot of things involved. And people don't really understand how that can get to you and get to your mental health. So, yes, I'm hoping that, you know, by starting this company with just the, we could like make a difference in all the fields, including the entertainment industry at large, because it's quite big in India, the entertainment industry, you have like, like the EDM industry, you have the films, you have just Bollywood music in general, and the lifestyle is all the same, you know, it doesn't matter what music you work in or which industry in terms of films, or anything as such, but the entertainment industry at large goes through a lot of mental health issues, which I don't even think they understand. And there's, there's a lot of pressure, you know? So yeah, hoping that, you know, we can make some difference with this.
0: There's a stereotypical image of what an entertainer does. And it looks something like, you know, uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Exactly. And um, I I don't know, I w- I've never been in that culture or that industry. I've only heard of friends who have been in it. And I'd say professional athletics probably falls into that in some stripe or another, and I understand there's stresses placed upon the celebritydom of of entertainers, and there's psychological reasons for that. The way that society projects its own shadow onto the celebrities, and um, a lot of them end up, you know, not being able to w- stand up under that that pressure because their their own selves, capital S on selves, are not developed to the point that they can uh, carry that burden. But I'm wondering if there's something more simple than than this deep psychological stuff. Is there is there just um, is there just like a, a a temptation to engage in hedonism that pervades all that, or or is it really that deep where um, you're trying to perform for the masses and the ma- and you'll never be good enough because the masses are always going to be very fickle in what they desire?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, uh, like to be honest, like when I keep getting this you know, thing from my friends, they keep telling me that, oh, wow, your life is amazing. You're all the time traveling and you're going to these new places. You've traveled the world. You have, you're at the best parties and they don't understand what all, what goes behind putting these parties and, you know, with the travel and how my lifestyle is affected at large. It's like, you know, you work in the day you have, you have to go to the office and then on the weekends you're traveling or you're traveling throughout the week. But, In general, what coming to your question, what I feel is that, you know, uh, you as, 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 you know, we spoke about pleasing the masses, that's what celebrities and that's what entertainers have to do. And you cannot please everyone. So I think the pressure, there's always going to be pressure at, at, you know, in some way or the other for people in the entertainment industry, because not everyone's going to be satisfied with what you do. And I think the, when you understand the fact that you know you can't please everyone, you will just keep growing and being and getting better at what you really want to get better at. Otherwise, you're just going to have a downfall.
0: How do you manage your time and your stress? Because it sounds incredibly challenging.
2: Uh, for me, it's like so. I'm I'm a scuba diver, and and I love you know that's that's like yoga and meditation for me. So whenever I get my free time, <laughs> I just take take a trip off. I go diving, you know, clear my mind and come back because I I don't see any other form for me that works really. And when I'm here, I, I try to just, you know, watch some shows or something in my free time and spend time with family. Because at the end of the day, you want to come back to people and speak about things that you're not speaking on a daily basis, you know. So that really clears your mind. And yeah, that's how I cope with my stress, I would say.
0: And I know I'm getting a little personal with this next question, but did you ever get the temptation, or did you ever at any time indulge in the drugs and alcohol and partying?
2: Uh, I mean, there is a temptation. Yes, I would not deny that because you know you're surrounded by that at all times. You have you're traveling with people who may like who indulge in it. So yes, there is a temptation. But at the end of the day, you need to understand for yourself what's right, what's wrong, and if you want to last longer, and if you're doing this as a passion, then I don't really think. I don't see the need for like, you know, drugs or like alcohol. Yes, I do drink, but that would just be like socially and more than more than half the times right. while I'm working or I'm at a gig or, you know, traveling, I barely even drink. So, yeah, I mean, it's just that people look at it in a way that you're always drinking, partying and you, you know, you're out there. But no, that's not that's not the case. I mean, I can't keep just justify what? myself to each and every one.
0: What's the attitude toward drugs now all broadly in India? Is it, is it more similar to like the Middle East where it's to, to completely shunned and frowned upon? Or is it more like, you know, Eastern Europe where everybody drinks like crazy?
2: Oh, I definitely not like the Middle East. Uh, people over here love drinking and they're always out. Like you go out on a Monday or a Tuesday at a bar and you'll definitely see it packed. So it's like hmm. people, people like drinking alcohol because I think they see that way out in terms of you know oh we're done with the day's work and let's just go and have a drink because yeah that's how you you know uh relax that's how they take it as and uh, drugs so they are obviously illegal in india but i don't really <laughs> see anything like like you know it not being illegal in a way where the consumption rates are high and you know it's easily accessible so yeah it's it's not as middle east but i would say Like, you know, when I would go for parties in Europe and, you know, outside in their rules and regulations, they would say, if you're consuming any kind of drugs, limit yourself to two drinks, two glasses of water an hour. Over here, they wouldn't say that, but, you know, people just do what
0: they want. Yeah, I that's interesting that the, it, go ahead Jesse
1: sorry I wouldn't say it's like Europe but uh, I mean it's more westernized than uh, for sure it's not like the Middle East for sure
0: uh, my, what I was gonna say is it's interesting to me that there's that type of attitude that's uh, I don't know if I call it permissiveness sir but it's it's accepting whereas you know over here in America we still have states that have what we call blue laws where you can't buy liquor on Sundays um, or in some states you the the liquor store is separate from where you can buy beer and wine, um, and it's not it's not everywhere. It's just certain states. But there's still definitely a, a stigma even attached to alcohol consumption that dates from our country's founding, and the, the Puritan uh, philosophy behind it. But yet in India, you've got this like allowance of of the consumption of alcohol, but the I guess the the inability to embrace mental illness. <laughs> it's, it's very very interesting. <laughs>
1: uh yeah i mean <laughs> alcohol here is uh is like uh i think a sign of also being wealthy uh in a way okay um but yeah i mean it's not as accepted it's not like oh everyone here is drinking at the age of like 15 or something i mean our alcohol laws are quite strict you can't get a drink until you're 21
2: in a bar but <clears throat> until you're 25 in some states until yeah. you're 21 and so every state has their different you know law in terms of Uh, when a person can go to a club so like say for example in Maharashtra and in a couple of other places you need to be 24 or 25 and above to enter a nightclub but you can be 21 and enter a bar and only drink beer yeah so they have like laws. yeah yeah. (laughs) but no one really follows that
1: I mean a lot of places do implement it to be honest but like we all have our like ways out of you know doing what we want to do at the end of the day um but yeah i mean i wouldn't say that it's very liberal yeah you know? but you're like if we if if our parents are drinking at home uh they won't really offer us alcohol until we are like 25 above you know once we're above mm-hmm. 25 they're like okay you know what if you want alcohol you can like we're, we're we're pouring ourselves a drink would you like a drink but before that it's like uh no <laughs> more <laughs> like that
0: yeah, that at least makes sense because the, over here, that the the um, twenty one year old age limit it was tied to uh, historical um, federal highway funding, uh, mm-hmm. and I think it dates to the early seventies, if memory serves. Um, and it seems a little arbitrary to slap twenty one on there because at least when you say twenty four or twenty five, that's when the brain stops developing. Mm-hmm. So if you to lower the drinking limit, you're flirting with the ability to sidetrack somebody's own, you know, mental or, or uh, neurological development. Um, but at least if you put it up to 25, that that's rooted in science and it's not just plucked from thin air. <laughs> yeah, true. Well, we are coming up on the end of the hour, and I want to respect your guys' time and definitely thank you for joining us. Yes. This, I mean, this conversation could honestly go on forever. And yeah. I know at least, you know, Jay and I could probably talk music for a long time and Jasdeep <laughs> and I could probably talk psychology for a long time <laughs> But uh, uh, in the interest of not uh, boring our audience too much. I'm going to wrap it up here and maybe we'll do this again yes, um, for sure. I mean, where we're Jake... not talking exclusively about Jake's fascination with Indian culture.
2: <laughs> no, but thank you so much but for thank inviting you very us. Much. And it has been an honor. And yeah, we would love to like, you know, speak more about this sometime in the future.
0: I would really like to connect on some you know, like as they say in our little work groups that we have here action steps like how can we really move this forward how can we solidify the partnership between you know what we're doing with the app and the podcast and what you guys are doing with the entertainment industry and um destigmatizing the mental health treatment in your in your country and I don't know what that looks like, and I guess we'll just let you know God decide where it goes. <laughs> but, uh, maybe we can edition. brainstorm that's offline about some some ways to do some more stuff that's actually concrete.
1: Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Thank Any you last so words? <laughs> no, I feel like we're so in an execution.
0: Much. Any last words?
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Jake. This has been great, and yes. um, thank. I would like to thank Sufiso on air. <laughs> so yeah, this done for us. Like... for finding us on Facebook, I mean, Facebook still has some value. Thank God for that. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Safiso has a ton of value too. I. Um, I agree. <laughs> we've gotten to know each other pretty well the last couple of years, even though we've never met face to face. And this is the magic of technology. But he's he's amazing at going through the internet and digging okay. up uh, people like you to bring on to this show and it's it's awesome i mean it's a true blessing for me to be able to have this chat
2: yeah and we would also like to thank the audience for listening to us this last one hour because it's been great
1: yeah
0: Well, on behalf of the Noggin Notes team and the Zephyr Wellness family, I thank everybody for listening and definitely to our guests, Jay and Jay Um, It's like 10.30 your time and you guys need to go to bed or 11 o'clock or something. And my day is just starting. It's 8.30 a.m. my time. So (laughs) on with the day and on with the night, I guess. Yes.
1: Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks. Enjoy the rest of the week. Bye-bye.